from the sun-soaked studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another shady episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Yeah, the shade-loving hosta plant was the hot topic in a recent show, but that was about eradicating the Borg of outdoor plants. On today's show, we'll discuss how to save a hosta when the trees that throw their shade are toppled by twisters. Otherwise, it's a phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy buying beach umbrellas. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and marvelously munificent mea, mea culpas. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than your sun-soaked plants having it made in the shade right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later on the show, yeah, we did talk about hostas a couple of weeks ago, but that was about trying to get rid of them. Now we're going to try to save them when we get to the question of the week. You'll also learn what hostas look like when they receive full sun. But we have a full slate of your fabulous phone calls before that at 833-727-9588. Vicki, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky, Vicki. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Beautiful day in North Carolina. Yeah, I was going to guess you were not from Brooklyn. All right. What can we do for Vicki from NC? Um... It's been a strange year, as it, you know, has been for the last couple of years, but none of my daylilies have bloomed at all, and they're, like, gone. I have um, about five or six hybrids that a friend gave to me that were really beautiful, and then I have a whole lot of double daylilies that were at the house I moved in um 16 years ago, and none of them have bloomed in the backyard. And they're, like, gone. They're not there. Okay, so when you say they're gone, in other words, there's no stalk, there's no greenery? Yes, there, there's some little greenery, but not a big clump like you would have, you know, to have bloom. Okay. Um, so there is some plant material. Um, yes, did... but, but very, very little. Okay. And is it shorter than it should be? Shorter? Yes. In yes. other words, if the daylily was going to be four foot tall, is the little bit you have now two foot tall? Yes, correct. Okay. And have you examined the top of the stalk? There's there's no stalks at all. There's, oh. there's some leaves, but they're like, you know, maybe 10 inches long. Okay. As but, opposed to 12 inches. Right. Vicki, where'd you go? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Um, all right. I'm confused now. So you look at the spot where the daylilies were. There is a stalk coming out of the ground with leaves on it. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Okay. But no flowers. Correct. 
And did you ever see the beginning of the flowers? No. Okay. My first thought in a situation like this is always going to be deer. Um, Daylilies are remarkably edible for those of us who really enjoy hot and sour soup in a Chinese restaurant. The lily pods in that are from a specific type of daylily. And, you know, the deer really love daylilies. And one reason they especially go after them is the height is perfect. Poor little Bambi doesn't have to bend her neck or uh, go to any trouble. I have daylilies on the outskirts of my garden, and I've noticed some deer browsing um, on some of them, not a lot of them. And, but mm-hmm. the, the damage is exactly the way you describe. Yeah, but I live in the middle of a small town with a fenced-in backyard. Okay. And how tall is the fence? Uh, probably four feet. Yeah. Um, but you've also seen no signs of deer. You know, their poop is very... Correct. Dis- Correct. No signs of deer. Now, I have gobs of rabbits and gobs of squirrels. Okay. Squirrels um, could do that same damage. Rabbits, um, you know, the rabbits are not good climbers or jumpers. So, right. you know, but they're they're in the fence in backyard. <laughs> yeah, that's good for you. Yeah, sure. Vic, keep them close. Keep your enemies close where you can see them. I know, really. Um, yeah, uh, rabbits. If if depending on the height of what's left behind, rabbits could certainly be the case. And you've not seen any. Um, any left behind, so to speak, any leftovers? No, not at all. That's what's so weird. You know, you think you'd see a, like a half-partial bitten plant, but it's, it's nothing. Yeah, that's, you know, to me, again, it sounds like deer. Deer are everywhere. Um, but if you've not, and, you know, really they're doing their browsing um, just, at, just at dawn and at dusk, and they often escape sight. Um but in, in your case, the solution would be the same. Now, you do have a couple of leaves on each plant? Yes. Okay, good. So be sure to leave those leaves alone. I would go out as soon as possible and give the plants a, a nice mulch of compost or feed them with a gentle liquid organic fertilizer. They're going, to, okay. they're going to need some help developing uh, the strength to have flowers next year. But there's no reason that they can't. So next year, um, your best, you have two bets. You can either buy a deer repellent, and I realize you, you don't think it's deer, but this repellent would repel anything. Right, uh, okay, okay. A deer repellent whose active ingredient is putrescent egg solids. It'll actually say that on the label. Rotten eggs. Um, okay, okay. Professional deer repellents, you know, commercially sold in any garden center. Uh, right. With putrescent egg solids have been found to be the most effective uh, spray-on repellent. They will also repel uh, rabbits and squirrels. Nobody likes a nasty smell. Um, or you could also, and this is not very attractive, but it's very effective. If you wanted to just cage them after they come out of the ground, you know, make a cage out of chicken wire or something like uh-huh. that and put uh-huh. another piece of chicken wire over the top and then use twist ties to hold it in place. 
then that's a physical barrier against all three of your potential threats, the rabbits and squirrels, evil squirrels, I should say, that yeah, you think are to blame, and the deer. Now, you're not feeding... You're not feeding the squirrels, are you? No, but I have a pecan tree in the backyard, oh. and I can't keep them off of it. So no, no, no. How could you? It's like an all-day buffet. I know. Um, well, it's, it's up to you. The repellent should be effective, but you'd have to keep spraying it. And if, okay. we, if we get another rainy year, that could become expensive. If you do go that way, don't dilute it too much because you really want whatever animal it is, to get a really huge foul taste in their mouth right away. If you dilute it too much, they may just keep eating. So, you know, maybe look at making um, just a temporary cage. You'll see them when they come out of the ground. Be ready to drop that thing over top of them. Enjoy the blooms. And then after that, you can you could remove the cage. There's a couple of other things you could do, um, but those two would cover all three suspects. Okay, okay. What, now, let me ask you about bulbs, V-O-L-E-S. V-O-L-E-S are small, shrew-like creatures that live slightly underground or close to the ground. They would eat the roots of your plants. They have no ability to get up high. Okay, so, so the dead leaves would be on, on the ground, right? No, I mean, the whole plant would be sideways on the ground, or, okay, yeah. or it would look weak or dead, and you'd go yeah. to touch it, and you'd pull it up, and you'd see all the roots had been eaten. But they okay, are, yeah. they're it's undergrounders. Not it's not that, then. No, it's not voles. Okay. All right. All right thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Vic. Good luck. Okay. Bye-bye. Jen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here, Jen. Where are you? I am in Rhode Island. Okay, what part? Uh, Lincoln, northern, northern Rhode Island by Providence. Okay, what, you figure the state's so small it doesn't make any <laughs> difference? Yeah, yeah, everything's close, but, uh, you know, 47 minutes to drive through the whole thing. I knew a guy <laughs> with a car so long, he was in and out of Rhode Island at the same time. <laughs> can happen, for sure. Yeah. All right, what can we do you for? <laughs> okay, so my husband and I uh, own a business together. This, um business. We're on a pretty busy road. At where the mailbox is in front of the business has this big island. It's about twenty five feet long, about eight feet wide. Mm-hmm. For about ten years we've had this business. We've had various landscapers come in and just plant stuff and everything dies. Always mm-hmm. dies. Nothing was there. I actually looked at today, I'm just noticing there's not even really weeds growing in this thing. We were on like the absolute outer edges. Yeah, that's called so, that's this, called the curb of death. It is the curb of death. It's driving me crazy. So this, this year, my husband was like, oh, you know, you learned all this stuff about gardening pretty much from your show like, just in the past year. He's like, why don't you try to plant something? So I went to a garden center, the one I used to go to. I talked to her about it, um, someone there. She told me to put garden gypsum in there because I was telling her about, you know, it's right on the road. So lots of, you know, cars go by, sand kicks up, dirt, rocks. Um, it's windy kind of, you know, with the cars going by in the, in the winter. Like, you know, all the snow gets piled there with the salt and everything. So I'm explaining this to her. She said garden gypsum. So I go there, and I'm playing with some compost and with that, and I plan to, like, clear out the mulch, and, and they put some, you know, dig some holes, put the garden gypsum in with the dirt, and then maybe add some compost. But I go there, I'm, like, trying to scrape it in the mulch, and I'm, like, scraping and scraping. It's just 
more mulch. It's like the entire island is like mulch. There's maybe some dirt a little bit in there. Yeah, because I'm like digging like three, four inches up. deep. It's just still mulch. <laughs> yeah, they gave up. I guess they so. knew that nothing would grow there. Now, yeah. Um, now, obviously, this is full sun, right? Yes, full sun. And it is a curb. So, do people park there and walk on it? No, no. It, it, you go around it to get in the parking lot. Oh, okay. So it's not, um, but it is near a sidewalk. We don't have a sidewalk. Actually, it's just like right abutted to the road. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was also thinking, obviously, like planters, but I, you know, I'm not even actually there that much. I'm mostly with my kids. Like, I just wanted something like, you know, a perennial, just something I can plant and, you know, like kind of, you know, not have to do that much. I'm not always, you know, there. I can do some. But I was trying to think of like easy. I don't know if planters would be something I could do and just stick it on top of the mulch, or even See, if something would grow on planters that close to the road. I don't even know. So yeah, you know, one of the one of the many issues here is planters are going to dry out very quickly in that yeah. environment. Uh, the road yeah. bakes hot. The concrete bakes hot. Um, there are very few plants that would survive in those conditions. Now. <clears throat> If you had a an empty slate, so to speak, and it wasn't filled with this thousands of pounds of wood mulch, I would suggest mm -hmm. that you uh, plant zoysia grass in there, which is a warm season grass that spreads and loves the hot, dry weather, but can also survive your winter. However, it would be tan and brown at least half the year. The other half yeah. of the year, it'd be green. Um, it doesn't have high water needs, but again, that's a, that's a stressful spot for any plant. So yeah. I'm, going, I'm going to leave my room and go into somebody else's room and, sounds, uh, and, and say that this sounds like a nice place for garden art. For some okay. sort of, you know, there's these blacksmiths who make really cool things out of metal work. Um, you've got things that will turn in the wind that have some activity around mm -hmm. them. Uh, you could have straight garden statuary. Um, you could really spruce up the front of your place nice. I mean, and, and you say it, it is a business there. Yeah. Can you tell me what kind of business? Uh, we're chiropractors. You're a chiropractor. Oh I my am. goodness! So you 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 hire <laughs> you hire a woodworker or a metal smith or a stone carver to make a guy laying on a table with somebody oh putting his leg up in the air. <laughs> Seriously. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> You know, in the in the early days of immigration, no one could read English. So all the store signs were figural. You know, if you were a butcher, yeah. there'd be a big pig. If you were a shoemaker, there'd be a big boot. That kind of thing. I, it sounds like you have the perfect situation uh, to really make people smile. They'll immediately yeah. know what you do. You can put a little sign next to it. You know, make sure, yeah. make sure you, you, you get all the necessary permits and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But you wouldn't have to water it. You wouldn't have to care for it. And people would talk about it, which is what you want. Yeah. Okay. So no hope for plants there. <laughs> nope. 
Nope, there are, there are just some places where it's not meant to be, but you have, yeah. you have a canvas, and I think you should yeah. do something with it. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. All right. Stick some, like, hanging baskets or something there. No, like oh, God, they dry out <laughs> faster than containers on the ground. You'd have to, oh, that's true. You'd, oh, have to, okay. you'd have to water them twice a day, seriously. Okay, maybe fake plants. <laughs> I want to see that statue, yeah. Okay, good idea. Okay, great. Thanks so much. All right. And generally, I hit the right field. This time, I hit one to left. <laughs> All right. <laughs> good so luck, much. Jen. All right. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the beautiful Chautauqua Institute in upstate New York to give a lunchtime talk about pollinators this Monday, July 29th. But don't go looking for all the details at the event section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to save hostas from the sun and take more of your shady phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute hosting a Fall on the Farm event on Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd. Visitors can enjoy organic apple and pumpkin picking, wagon tours, food vendors, live music, and more. Details at RodaleInstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, hostas in full sun look like the dog's breakfast. So what do you do if your trees get knocked down by one of these super storms and your hostas have nothing to throw shade at them? We'll tell you the shady answer after lots more of your shady phone calls at 833-727-9588. Rebecca, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Becky. How are you? I am good. I'm good. I'm, I am hoping to get out and till my garden pretty soon because I've just planted a bunch of onions and I harvested the onions and, and the area needs to be tilled under so I can plant a, a fall crop. Okay. Uh, where is Rebecca? I'm in State Road, North Carolina, uh, which is uh, close to the Virginia border. Oh, okay. Okay, sure. Mountain. Yeah, yeah, right past the wildlife preserve there. Yes. Um, so you planted onions, and uh, I'm presuming you have a flat earth garden. I do, I do. I have uh, a very flat, uh, beautiful, fertile ground. Mm -hmm. um, 
that is the foothills of the Blue Ridge. Right. And I am uh, trying to get the soil to be even more fertile, less clay-based and more loam-based. And um, as such, I, I am having to spend a lot of time digging in my garden. And the only way that it's really feasible at this point is using my neighbor's tiller. And okay. uh, he probably wants me to get my own tiller, so I'm in need of getting a new tiller. Or maybe not. Um, didn't you find, uh, how long have you been gardening? I've been gardening uh, probably since I was 16, and my mom moved me out to the country. Okay. I just have had my place that I'm living in now. I have uh, bought it five years ago. So you're used to tilling around the farm and everything like that? Yes. Now, yes, when, you, when you till your garden and you plant an early crop like onions, aren't you frustrated by all the weeds that come up? Very, very frustrated by the weeds that come up. Okay. You are planting those weeds when you till. Uh, tilling actually does not improve the soil structure. I mean, it makes it looser, but it releases nutrients, especially nitrogen, into the air. Um, that nitrogen had been sequestered. You know, you're kind of anti-helping uh, prevent climate change by releasing those gases into the atmosphere. Um, it also uncovers weed seeds, billions of them, that are then struck by sunlight, which is the trigger for germination. And then what do you do? Then you cover those seeds right back up with soil, don't you? And you water them and you feed them, and then you're shocked at all these weeds that pop up. So what are we going to plant to follow the onions? Um, something that will prevent the weeds from being in. That's my goal, is to try to choke out the weeds by having a healthy crop of something. And, well, and, isn't, it, uh, isn't it still a little early in the season to be thinking cover crops? Don't you want to grow a late run of, of string beans or even tomatoes or peppers or something? Uh, well, I have um, about 50 tomato plants in and about okay. 50 pepper plants, and I've got uh, a lot of squash and beans already. Okay. So actually what I'm thinking is I'm going to try to do peanuts just Whoa. to see how they do, even though I don't have sandy soil and they need sandy soil. Uh, um, yeah, a, a peanuts would not be my first choice, especially if you want to uh, do a cover crop. If your soil is really compacted, um, the, the cover crop that's recommended, which is crazy, is the daikon radish, those long white radishes. Okay, uh-huh. Because they have the ability to plow through solid steel, and then when you pull them out, the soil is all loose. Aerated, and yeah. Then, and then maybe you can find somebody to actually eat them. Uh, there, are two, <laughs> there, are, there are two other types of cover crops. Um, one cover crop will grow um, like late, in, in the summer, early fall, and then be winter killed. So it'll be this living dead mulch. It'll prevent weeds. And the advantage to using one of these winter kill cover crops is in the spring, you don't till them into the soil. You just punch holes in them where you Oh, want. nice. So it's a no-till crop. I it, like that. It's a total no-till crop. And okay. you, you punch holes in the soil where you want them, uh, where you want your plants to grow. And over the course of the summer, the cover crop will begin to degrade away. 
but it'll be preventing weeds and it will return its nutrients to the soil without you having to uh, turn it over. If uh, you want to add some nutrition on top of that, you could spread an inch of compost on top of the dead cover crop after planting. Uh, the other types of cover crops are meant to improve the soil. They're leguminous plants that absorb a lot of nitrogen from the air. Uh, but they will grow and stay green, or even if they winter kill, they're meant to be tilled back into the soil in the spring. But now we've got those weeds popping back up again. I would urge you, um, so you've got a big truck patch. How, how huge is this? I've got about half an acre. Yeah. So you're not going to build raised beds. I'm not going to what? You're not going to build raised beds to avoid weeds. No, no, I'm definitely not doing raised beds. So here's what I want to do. I want you to meet me in the middle. I want you to diagram your garden. I want you to go out there like a surveyor. Okay. I want you to make lanes as if you were growing, going to put in raised beds. The lanes, which I've already done that, yes. Okay, good. That's so good. the growing lanes are no wider than four feet? Yep, five feet, actually, but close okay, enough. Okay, no, I'll break them down four foot because you want to be able to, you're not going to step on that soil again. Right. You're going to be able to reach in from either side, and then you have defined lanes in between that, are, that are two feet wide. Two feet? Two feet. You need two oh. feet. Yeah, I you, did five feet so I could get my mower, my big go mower in between. That's fine. More the merrier. Okay. And um, the thing is, you will have to keep the lanes mulched uh, to prevent grass from growing into your flat beds. But it is well, right. it's well worth it to define areas that you don't step into. Tilling really is only for relieving soil compaction. If you don't step in your beds, you're not compacting the soil. And every year, if you do this living dead cover crop and cover it with an inch of compost, your soil within five or six years will be rich and loamy and free of weeds. The only weeds you have to worry about are the ones that come in from the sides, the, the grassy weeds. Uh-huh. And so I do daikon radishes to go between midsummer to fall. And then after I do the daikon radishes to go midsummer to fall, what do I plant in the fall exactly that is the living? I want, you, I want you to talk to your local county extension agent about the best cover crops for your region. Regions mean a lot. Uh, the daikons uh-huh. are interesting because you're talking about really compacted soil. And this would be, this would be like uh, a shotgun blast to get the soil's attention. And then, okay. you know, theoretically, you could work with a farmer or farm market to sell the radishes. Right. Or, or put them up or whatever you want to use them to scare children at Halloween. I mean, that's not, you know, <laughs> that's not my problem. Uh, but after that, yeah, there are a number of different cover crops. Uh, you want to make sure that it winter kills in your climate. And I'm not an expert on cover crops. I know enough to get into trouble. But you should be able to go to your county extension office or even online, get a nice list of cover crops. They'll tell you whether they survive winter or not. And every year, you should, whether you're going to build raised bed frames, mound things up, define your walking lanes more specifically, your goal is no till, no more tilling, because especially down in the Carolinas, gets hot in the summertime, the weeds are going to kill you. Uh-huh. 
and they definitely are killing me. Yes, I'm yeah. out all day, every day, except that I've um, started putting uh, flowers in any of the area that is not being used by vegetables. Okay. And and I've ended up with a, a beautiful garden that is um, the the weeds are choked out by the flowers. Excellent. All fla- all vegetable gardens should contain flowers for pollinators, but um, you. Uh, if you do not till, you will battle 95% fewer weeds that summer. Wow. Okay. All right. I will do that. Yes, that's a great idea. All right. Good luck, Beck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That number to call, 833-727-9588. Phil, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for taking my call, Mike. Thank you for making it, Phil. Where are you, man? I'm in Flemington. What can we do for Phil in the Garden State? Well, Mike, we have uh, my wife and I moved in to our house about a year and a half ago, and uh, we focused, as most do probably, on the inside of the house, but not on the outside when we were looking at it. Good. Underestimated the amount of uh, tree removal we were going to have to do around the foundation um, and in the various beds around the house. Hmm. So we had trees uh, pressed up hard against the siding. We had some bugs getting up the side of the house. So we decided to just rip everything out and start anew. Okay. Uh, after we cleared it, we found that there were about six inches of crushed stone with about another three or four inches of heavy river stone on top of it and all the beds that were ultimately covered by black mulch. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> you think they got this place ready for sale fast or what? Oh, they, they sure did. And uh, all the artillery mulch spores that shot off the black mold. I mean, once we pulled the landscape oh. fabric back, there was dense white mold under all the beds. It, just, it was a nightmare. Did it get onto your siding? It did, yeah. We even pressure washing it is tough, so I actually just ended up taking a lot of it off with the uh, scraper. Oh. One thing I've been told, and uh, this is something we haven't talked about for a while, anytime you use any of this crappy wood mulch near your home, <laughs> you risk artillery fungus, which are spores that shoot at the side of your house. They shoot little tar balls that after 24 hours are almost impossible uh, to remove. They can actually ruin your siding or a white car. The most reliable thing I've heard from people is a product called Mr. Clean's Magic Eraser. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did you try it? <laughs> we, I use that on, I haven't tried it on the mold, but I've tried it on our, on our uh, composite decking and our vinyl railing. And I mean, you can get the stuff on Amazon. It's, name, it's nameless. Yeah. You can get a hundred pack for five dollars. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right, Look now let's let's get let's get back to brass tacks here. Yeah. So you're going into the masonry business. You're going to start selling stone to your neighbor, right? I I have I just have a bobcat outside right now. I, I was just uh, are you serious? Scraping even more of it up. Yeah. Is that yours or did you rent it? I rented it. Okay, it's fun, isn't yeah, it? But- Oh, it's a lot of fun. I used to service those machines back in the day, and I'm, I'm super comfortable with them. I mean, they're, it's just you can't beat the time savings with it. The bigger the toy, the bigger the boy. Absolutely. I took a day off from work just to play with it today. Oh, yeah. All right. So what can I do for you? So it, the yard is destroyed, obviously. Um, I'm going to wait till the fall to, to reseed, to, to top dress and everything, so I'm not worried about that. Right. My thinking was, as much as I like the landscaping looking good, mm-hmm. not Martha Stewart good, but just healthy good, I hate watering. Mm-hmm. So I, I was thinking that while the yard's torn up, while I have the machines, while I have everything not looking nice, 
would it be smart or prudent to install a hard-piped drip irrigation system where I could have a couple risers coming out of my beds here and there and then kind of hook up drip tape, drip tubing, and emitters as my needs change throughout the years. Do you, have you noticed a little bit that maybe it, it kind of rains every once in a while over the past couple of years, <laughs> Phil? I've seen a couple of rainstorms here and there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I have not turned on my uh, my sprinkler once this okay. year. Now, there's no reason to believe that we won't go through a hot, dry summer. Um, sure. These devices are expensive. Um, many of them cannot be set to water correctly. Correct watering would mean you'd be able to set it to run for four or five hours once a week early in the morning. And, okay. and most systems want to water 20 minutes a day, which encourages very shallow root systems, more shallow okay. than me, for instance. So, <laughs> And the emitters get clogged. The tape gets clogged. There's a lot of maintenance. It has to be drained in the winter. It says it has diverticulitis, so it can't go out to dinner with you. <laughs> These things are very testy. I, okay. I would um, visit a, first a local garden center and tell them you want to completely re-landscape and you want uh, plants that don't have high water needs. You, you want drought-resistant plants, um, okay. which may be a benefit because there's a big crossover there uh, with deer-resistant plants as well. Okay. So All right. yeah, we found. Go ahead. We found that the uh, we, we so we asked about the deer resistance first and foremost, and I even visited our uh, Hunterdon and County Extensions website, which Good. is run by Rutgers, and kind of cross-checked what the nursery said was deer resistant versus what the the garden masters um, classify as deer resistant, and I was happy to find that a lot of them were the same. So we ended up placing an order for barberry. Um, some holly, mm -hmm. and then some, ver some varieties, variegated boxwood and whatnot. But we're staying away from things that really don't have any deer resistance rating because there are some animal trout trails. Oh, sure. evident yeah, they're all over. Development. The, they're all right. over Pennsylvania and Jersey. No, you sound like you're off to a very good start. Now, remember okay. that uh, when you when you're buying these plants in the fall, you're going to get a great deal. You know, because typically they're going to be discounted. And okay. if you're buying a lot, you're going to buy it from one nursery, uh, work a further deal of installation, you know, get a break okay. on installation, and um, maybe uh, a little bit of design so that, okay. that you know, because they'll know what goes where and everything like that. But you're right to wait to the fall. The time to reseed your lawn is mid-August through mid-September. All right, sir. I really appreciate you taking my call. Oh, my pleasure. You have a great plan already. It's going to work out well. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that I will appear at the beautiful Chautauqua Institute in upstate New York to give a lunchtime talk about pollinators this coming Monday, July 29th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to save your hostas from the sunshine and take more of your sunny phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to a question of the week about sunshine and hostas, and I will admit that I made a mistake and correct myself with the aid of our Facebook friends. You won't want to miss it, and you shouldn't, because it's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky today, Jim. How are you doing, sir? Not too bad. And where is Jim not too bad? Uh, Down in Gilbertsville, about 35 miles south of Bethlehem. Oh, okay. Very good. What can we do for Jim in Gilbertsville? I noticed earlier this year, uh, probably late May, early June, that my neighbor's oak tree leaves were really droopy and kind of look kind of wilted. And then as a couple weeks went on, I was noticing the same thing on mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a couple of oak trees, and I was wondering if this is a disease, is it due because we've had so darn much rain, or just kind of wondering what's up and do I have to be concerned about my trees? Well, you know, it's so funny. I hadn't talked to my friend Howard Garrett, the dirt doctor down in Texas, for quite a while. And he called me yesterday uh, to talk about the emerald ash borer, which is now invading Texas. And he talked about uh, these vicious oak diseases that are going around and how he is caring for them. Now, the first question is, are your trees, either you or your neighbors, are they mulched? Uh, no, they're uh, they're all just natural, right? His is in the yard. Mine is in what area we call the wood set. It's an area that we don't we don't really do much with. Okay, good, good. So their root flares are exposed. You can see everything. Um, yeah, I mean these trees they were here when the development was built. Uh, mm-hmm. They kind of built around them, so they're they're you know old growth, um, not. Um, haven't really, they're just the way, uh, unless the builders did something, they are uh, just the way they were. Right, but you can see see the roots coming out uh, where the trunk is. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, okay. Um, We have had an astounding amount of rain. I remember a couple of weeks ago I saw this picture from Washington, D.C. of cars floating down the, the George Washington Parkway. Uh, it's been absolutely nuts. And this is something that houseplant carers need to think about, too. The symptom of a drowning plant, it looks like the plant needs water. So, you know, whether a plant is too dry or too wet, it kind of does the same thing. Now, um, you say one of the ones in a wild area, so it's not being treated with anything. It's not being fed. It's no, no, not, we use all all natural. Yeah, and your neighbors is it growing out of a treated lawn or anything? I don't think he does, but I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. So, um, when did this wilting begin? 
I noticed it um, probably, I don't, I don't know, I'm trying to remember when the lease came out. Um, I want to say late late May, early June is when I really noticed it. Mm-hmm. And it's continuous. It, it has. It, it, I want to say I looked at them just this morning, and it and they looked a little – I thought they looked a little better, but then mm-hmm. I've also noticed that there's been some. I'm noticing some uh, brown or um, browning around some of the leaf tips. Okay, kind of hard to tell. They're pretty tall. Yeah. Um, the answer will be indirect. Um, there are diseases that are affecting oak. Oak wilt, for instance. Um, Arborists will probably tell you there's no hope. Cut the tree down. One of the things that, uh, that the dirt doctor and I were discussing is how often just some nice, gentle, organic remedies can turn things around. So uh, the first thing I'm going to suggest is um, you get some high-quality compost, not composted manure, and make a mulch two inches deep, beginning about six inches away from the trunk, but going out as far as you can take it. Um, there's really nothing you can do to improve the drainage in the area. Is the drainage poor generally in your area? Uh, well, the, it's uh, no, because we're on a pretty, pretty heavy slope. Oh, okay, okay. So, so it doesn't. Uh, now, my neighbor's tree might might have more of a drainage problem than ours does, because okay. ours, our our yard has uh, got about a 12 foot drop from one side of the lot to the other, which is only about 100 feet. So, wow, pretty mm-hmm. steep. Okay. Um, so cutting here, the grass is not fun. Yeah, I hear you. I uh, so what I'm going to suggest. Uh, my suggestion is compost. A good mulch of compost right now. If we go through dry spells, don't water the tree. If they're you know if they're that old, they don't need that help. Uh, the no, com- I don't water. The compost will work its way into the soil. Will be absorbed by the roots of the tree. And compost fights disease. Really well-made, high-quality compost fights disease. So don't be cheap here. Buy the good stuff. And uh, you may want to visit the website of my friend, the Dirt Doctor. So you might want to write this down. Um, Name of his website and his radio show in Texas is called The Dirt Doctor. He's been around as long as I have. He is uh, as organic as I have. He's uh, kind of my doppelganger from uh, down south. And he has a perfected uh, something he calls the sick tree treatment that involves the addition of minerals like zeolite. And I think uh, he's a fool for molasses, too. Uh, He thinks molasses cures almost anything. But he has had great success with his sick tree treatment. He's not just a talker. I mean, um, Howard does landscapes and everything like that, um, works with agricultural universities. He's a very smart guy. So it's the dirt doctor, Howard Garrett, sick tree treatment. You don't have to follow it to the letter, um, but it will give you some ideas of some nutrients that you can provide the trees that may well help them resist whatever's going on. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, good luck to you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. As promised, it is now time for the question of the week, which we're calling the sad story of hosta plants in full sun. 
Steve in Weathersfield, Connecticut writes, just as you described on a recent show, I had a 25-foot wide circle of hosta around a large pine tree. But my tree developed problems and had to be removed. The hosta were suddenly exposed to a lot of sunlight and looked terrible. So I placed a post on Craigslist inviting anyone who wanted the plants to come over and dig them up. Eight people came and dug as I sat in the shade. When the dig was over, the last two people even raked the bed clean, and I had a glorious circle ready for replanting. I felt like Tom Sawyer. Well, don't take this the wrong way, Steve Arino, but I could kiss you on the lips for sending this email, because I needed one just like this. Hosta, which is both the singular and plural form of the plant, seemed to be the topic of the summer. And a few weeks ago, somebody posted a question on the show's Facebook page recounting a story very similar to yours. Specifically, Karen in Dayton posted, our home recently survived a tornado, luckily with very little damage except for some downed trees. But now areas that were heavily shaded are a lot sunnier. And some of the plants, especially my hosta, look a little shocked. The suddenly high temperatures we've been experiencing aren't helping. I hesitate to move them right now because of all the cleanup work still going on and because I plan to redo the landscaping in the fall to accommodate the changes to the property. Now, I don't respond to all of the posts on our Facebook page. And when I responded to this one, I was distracted by a massive battle against clutter in my house a full dumpster, and four 500-cubic-foot trailer loads already hauled away. We can see floors. And I found three giant Rodan toys from 1977, one of which is mint in the box. Plus, it was late, I was tired, the dog ate my homework. Anyway, I violated my rule of no emails or posts after 10 p.m., and told Karen that hosta, I keep wanting to say hostas, but spell check won't let me, can't handle full sun, and that she should just focus on the cleanup and the planning of that new landscape. Well, I got hammered for not being helpful, which in this case is a fair cop. But it also allowed our Facebook friends to step up and help out with some real suggestions. Joni G., recounted that she had taken a master gardener's garden tour a few years ago, and one spot was the home of a member of the local hosta society. Quote, she had also lost some trees and had then put up big, colorful beach umbrellas to replace them. It was gorgeous. I can't imagine that they could be left out all the time, but it sure was charming. Perhaps there's some similar temporary solution that can be used by Karen until something permanent can be done. Well, that's a great idea, and the umbrellas would only have to stay up for the summer. Linda P. suggested shade cloth and extra watering. Pat M. suggested digging them up right away, potting them up, placing the pots in a shady spot, and replanting them in shade in the fall, or turning them into pass-along plants. But the odds of success with this idea are not really good. Hosta plants grow really big really fast and would probably require a lot of large containers and a lot of potting soil. 
Plus, it's now bloom time for the plants. So you'd have to cut them back hard to accomplish that task and you'd miss all those flowers. I like the idea of providing artificial shade for them until the fall. The bottom line here is that Hosta is a shade lover that rapidly looks like the dog's breakfast when it's exposed to full sun. My friend Diane, like many of you out there, also lost a tree that was shading her Hosta, and now they look like somebody threw bleach on them. Even worse, some people's houses, I see Hosta plants that appear to have been deliberately placed in full sun. Man, and these are poster children for sadness. The good news here is that even if Karen took my non-helpful advice, she'd still be able to save her plants. Although a hosta plant in full sun is a sad thing to see, it almost certainly won't die from the experience. Matter of fact, I'm not sure that hostas can be killed. I've divided enough of the monsters to know that they seem to actually enjoy having the equivalent of a stake driven through their heart, and I wouldn't waste a silver bullet on them. So, amended advice for Karen. If you like the idea, your hosta plants would love to be protected by big umbrellas. They'd offer much more protection than shade cloth, and you wouldn't have to rig up the support structure that shade cloth requires. It's typically stretched across the top of a greenhouse, a hoop house, or a similar structure. Either way, the thing that's providing the shade can be taken away at the end of the summer. And while hosta can be dug up and transplanted in either the fall or spring, I vote for spring to give you more time to let your friends and neighbors know that you got hosta plants for them free for the digging. Well, that sure was some timely advice about how to throw shade at a hosta now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read the details at your leisure or leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to let the sunshine in on my hosta. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse steaming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please include your location. You'll find all of this wonderful contact information, plus answers to many of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Harold and Nancy McGrath. 
Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tierra Tavia Minnick is our associate producer of Production Association. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our occasional cameraman is Jeff Frederick. Our marketing madman is jaunty Jim McDonald. Our chief techno officer is Andy Cummins. Zach the Tack Wisniewski is either in the house, out of the house, or on the way someplace. Always way out, our CEO Tim Fallon is still not our executive producer, is late for a meeting, and wants me to go with the flow. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and with all the rain we've been having, that would wash me into somebody's basement in McCungie. Let's hope they have a sense of humor so that I can see you again next week. Hey, boy, where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Will grinding roots down to the ground allow grass to grow beneath trees? I'm Mike McGrath and we'll dismiss this foolish notion, praise above ground roots and discuss why trees and lawns often don't play well together. Plus your playful phone calls. That's on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden.